life gets busy. Have you noticed that? We're only seven days into the new year, only seven days into 2024, and I've had a pretty full seven days. Maybe you have as well. (laughs) And the rest of the month is not looking any lighter. Now, that's not a complaint. It's just an observation, but it's an observation that comes with a warning. I want to give you a warning today. You may be thinking, what's the warning? Well, it's simply this. We can become so busy with good things and necessary things that we miss out on the most important things. Yes, there are things that we must do. There are things that we want to do. But hear me, there are things that are even more important that we should be doing Jesus' disciples, they illustrate this for us today. I want you to take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and go to the Gospel of John and find the fourth chapter. And in John chapter 4, we're going to find a very beautiful story. It's a story of Jesus' love and redemption. But right in the heart of this beautiful story of love and redemption and Jesus' work here, His disciples are worried about one thing mainly. Believe it or not, in the middle of this wonderful story, they're worried mostly about food. About food. Reminds me of teenage boys. And believe me, I know about teenage boys. They think about food a whole lot. Now, food is vital. Without it, we will die. Pastor Larry said that we Baptists, we like our food. And I think that's true maybe more than it ought to be. And we have to have earthly food. We have to have... Uh, food. Jesus had to have earthly food when He lived here upon the earth because He was perfect God and perfect man. And so He ate and He drank and He did the things that we do. But He tells His disciples here that there's something better than food. There's something more important than food. There's so much here in John chapter 4, including our theme for 2024. So let's get right into the passage if we can. And we're going to pick up the reading there at John chapter 4. I'm going to read all the way through the story. And then we'll come back and we'll take a look at part of the story, all right? But I want you to kind of get the whole scene, the whole picture of this beautiful story of redemption and love. John chapter 4, beginning at verse number 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Look at verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. Verse 27 says, and at this point, his disciples came. And they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, here's what's going on. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Did you bring him anything? Did you bring him? somebody bring him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. And both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This is a beautiful story. Jesus Christ intentionally went to Samaria, a place where Jews would try to bypass, talk to someone they would not talk to, because he loved this precious lady and wanted to give her living water, wanted to give her eternal life. 
We could probably stay here for a couple of weeks and preach on this. We could look at this story in depth. But we usually think about the Samaritan woman and Jesus' interaction with her. But today I want to take a different route. I want us to look at that interlude between his dealings with the Samaritan woman and what went on between Jesus and the disciples during this time as she ran back to tell the people in her city and then bring them back with her to see uh, the Messiah, if you will. I, I must admit that when I look at what the disciples do at times and what they say, it makes me feel a lot better about myself. Now, that's not a good thing, by the way, but it's just the truth. I look at them and you wonder, you know, are the apostles, are they human? Well, you look at what they do and it's very obvious that they are. Here they are, they've gone on a McDonald's run. And uh, they've gone to get food. Jesus stays behind, he's there at the well. And when they return from their run to McDonald's, they miss the point entirely. They're focused on the wrong thing. They're worried about the wrong thing. Yes, Jesus needs to eat. He, he has to eat. But he's interested in something greater here. He's interested in the soul of this Samaritan woman and the souls of the people of this city. He's living out what he told Mary and Joseph. Remember when he was 12 years old and he stayed behind and they came and finally found him? What did he say to his parents, his earthly parents? He said what? Don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? And here he is about his father's business. He's seeking to save the lost. Why? Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I want you to listen to the disciples. So we're going to go back and just kind of zoom in on what the disciples say and what they do. Look back there, verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Kind of like your grandma when you go to her house, right? You ever been there? There's certain people you go to their house, they're going to feed you when you walk in. They're concerned. Rabbi, eat. Eat something, Jesus. Don't you want something, Jesus? Eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat, of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? I mean, they're just concerned about food here. Jesus is speaking about the spiritual and they're focused upon the physical. And that is our problem many of the time. We are so focused on the physical that we miss out on the spiritual. And at this point, Jesus takes the time to teach His disciples some very important truth. He challenges His disciples. Now look at it at verse 34. Jesus explained, My nourishment... This is in the NLT. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing His work. In other words, Jesus says, I find strength, I find satisfaction in doing the work that the Father has given me to do. And then He turns the conversation and He begins to talk about the harvest. The harvest. Now, we here in Anson County should feel right at home concerning what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about the harvest. Because we live out here among the fields. We have farmers among us today. And here we are. We understand what he's talking about when he talks about the harvest. And it really brings us to our theme for 2024. And we come here today, and I just want to let you know our focus, what we want to talk about, what we want to think about, what we want to live out during this new year. And the theme is based there on John chapter 4, verse 35. And our theme this year is this, look at the fields. Look at the fields. He says there in John chapter 4, verse 35, 
Do you not say there are still four months? And then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look up, lift up your eyes, and look at the fields. Why? For they are already white for harvest. Look at the fields. Now, when Jesus said this, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, maybe he pointed over to a field. I don't know. I, I wasn't there, but I could see that happening as he's there among his disciples. Is Look at the fields. They're white into harvest. But his point was not to bring attention to the literal crop, the crops in the field. It wasn't, you know, look over at the barley, look over at the wheat. No, his point was to use the field to represent the harvest, humanity, the field of souls, the lost souls around them. Look at the fields of lost people, lost humanity. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Look at the people around you who need a Savior. And I want to think about this command that Jesus gives here. He says, look up and look at the fields. They're white into harvest. Let's think about the field for a moment. Would you notice, first of all, here from the passage, the nearness of the fields. The disciples were not told to look for the fields. They're told to look at the fields. It wasn't go search out for the field or go look for a field. No, it's look at the field. What I mean is this. They could already see them. They were already around them. And the same is true in our lives today, beloved. We are surrounded by people who need Jesus Christ. Lost men and women, boys and girls who do not know Jesus. We talked about the precious people there in Algeria. We prayed for them this morning. But did you know there are people in our county, there are people in our community that do not know Jesus Christ? They don't know Him. I believe in missions. I hope you know that. I believe in missions of all my heart. But the reality is we don't have to go 500 miles or 1,000 miles to find someone who needs Jesus. We can go across the street sometimes. We can just look to our left, look to our right, where we find ourselves, and they're all around us. And Jesus wants us to share His love. He wants us to share the Gospel, the good news of the Gospel. But that requires us to looking up and lifting up our eyes and looking at the field. Danielle and I were in a store yesterday. And there's a gentleman there. and We've been trying to kind of build a relationship, if you will, just talking to go in the store and just interacting with the gentleman and, you know, shooting the breeze and just being kind and friendly and Yesterday he came by where we were and we were I was looking at the the travel toiletries, you know, buying some shampoo and stuff for my trip this week and he just kinda could just kinda came and stood there and was talking and we talked about uh the prices and how they've gone up. We we talked about that for a while and 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 he kinda went on and then we I was I was praying. I didn't know Danielle had also been kinda Figuring out how. Now, I was praying. No, I didn't drop my knees, but just, you know, one of those silent prayers. You no, know, Lord, I, I want to get in a conversation. How do I, I don't want to shut this down. I don't know how he'll respond. You know, how do I get into the conversation with him about Jesus? And believe it or not, God answered that prayer because when we were checking out, he said, Where are you going? I said, What do you mean, where am I going? He says, You're going on a trip. And I said, well, here goes. We'll figure out if, whether it's going to shut down or not. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in a doctoral program. I'm going to seminary. 
And he kind of, and I thought, well, this will either shut down the, tr- the conversation or open it up. Sometimes when people find out you're a pastor, they're not too excited about it. But he kept on talking. We talked about that. Found out, he told me a little bit about his story and a little bit about uh, you know, his life and whatnot. And I won't go into too much detail, obviously, because we're in a small community. But, but God opened a door and we talked about it. And I was able to, to just mention to him, you know, it's not about the label on the building or what church you go to. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But that requires, beloved, intentionality because you have to look around you. You have to look around you. People need Jesus. And what happens is a lot of times we're like the disciples. We got, we're focused on food. I've got to go to the grocery store. I go to the grocery store a lot. I mean, I live in the grocery store. If I'm not at my study, not here, you'll find me at Food Line if you wonder where I'm at, you know, buying more food for, for my crew. But, but, but we, we get focused on what we have to do. And we've got to do that, obviously. We've got to go get gas. We've got to go to the grocery store. We, we've got to go to the doctor at the appointment. All those things are good and necessary. But in the midst of that, let's not be like the disciples. Oh, it's food, 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 food. And Jesus says, listen, I've got something better. There's a precious woman here, and she needs me. And these people need me. And for a moment, I'm setting aside what is necessary in life to focus on something much more important. What was interesting is how God orchestrates things because guess what? He brought a couple from our church in at the same time we were talking to Him. And then I found out later He liked those people. (laughs) See, God is at work around us all the time. But we don't notice it most of because we're so busy like the disciples. We've got to get food. Do you see something to eat? No. This precious woman needs me. And she went and she told others. And so we've got to lift up our eyes. We can't, in other words, we can't be focused just on what we're doing. We've got to lift up our eyes. I thought about this yesterday. The devil's done a good job. You know why? Because he's got most of us like this a lot. We go through life like this. We're focused on this. We're focused on ourselves. Focused... When he says, lift up your eyes, what does that mean? That means take your eyes off of this. You're looking at your focus of yourself and look at the fields around you. Look at the people around you. Lift up your eyes. They're white in the harvest. God's already working in that gentleman's life. He's already preparing. I was just there at the right time and and was just seeking the Lord and the Lord opened the door. You work with people. You go to class with people. You live near people. You bump into people in the community. They need Jesus. I thought about there's a couple of people in our community I think about. And I'm wondering, you know, how can I get in a, a conversation? How can I get in a, a discussion with them? They, they need Jesus. It's obvious. And you see that people in your heart and your mind and your thoughts that you're thinking about, you're praying for, and you're interacting with. Because the fields are near to us. Would you notice, secondly, we've got to hurry, the fullness in the fields. The fullness in the fields. He, he talks about a saying here that you, know, you say there are four months and then come the harvest. Some scholars believe that this was a, an actual thing, that there were four months from the point Jesus said this to the harvest. By the way, you do know the principle that you don't reap on the same day you sow. You reap later than you sow. And by the way, you reap more than you sow. And that principle holds true. And so some, some scholars believe he's talking about the harvest coming. He says, you say, well, there's still four months till harvest time. 
But then others say, no, he may have been using a popular proverb of that day. In other words, there were four months until the harvest. But regardless, his point was this. Don't wait. The harvest is now. You don't have to wait. There are people all around you who need to hear the gospel. In fact, he says here that it's white in the harvest. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, some believe that he's talking about the cross that were in the field. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, Jesus then turned toward the fields of barley, the poor man's grain, and noted how their color had faded from green to light brown. White for harvest is an exaggeration, meaning extremely ripe. If the grain isn't harvested in time, the seed pods fall off of the stalks, which is a tragic and humiliating blunder by the farmer. In other words, some think, as he said, they're white in the harvest. He was kind of pointing to the crop and saying, listen, they're ripe, they're ready to be harvested now. He was using that as kind of an illustration. Where we live, I can never not think about this when the cotton's in the field. And I ride through and I see those white fields, especially when you go out to Cottonville. And just look out as far as you can see and you see the white. I can't help but think about sometime during that time I drive by and think about the harvest fields are white under harvest. But, but what's interesting is I studied this Some scholars actually think he was referring to something else. I I never realized this. Some people, some scholars believe when he says they were white in the harvest, he might have been talking about the Samaritans. You know why? Because the scholars tell us that the Samaritans, they dressed in white. And you remember in the story, this is in the meantime, that the Samaritan woman had run back to tell them about this man she'd met Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? She's going to bring them out. And some scholars think, well, maybe at that moment that 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 group of Samaritans dressed in white were coming up over the hill. Maybe Jesus looked and said that the harvest is white in the harvest. The fields are white in the harvest. And He points to the Samaritan people as they come. We don't know exactly here. But it's true regardless. There's no time to waste. There's no time to put it off. So many times we put it off. We say, well, I don't know if it's the right time to tell them about Jesus. I don't know if it's the right time to bring it up. I don't know if it's the right time to whatever. But sadly, a lot of times what we do is we just keep delaying, 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 and we never tell them, and if we're not careful, it'll be too late to tell them. We're not promised tomorrow. There might be some family in your heart, some friends that you have, and you keep knowing in your heart, I need to tell them about Jesus, I need to talk to them about the Lord. You say, well, I'm not sure the time is right, I'm not sure it's a good time. And maybe what the Lord's saying to you is this, listen, the field is white in the harvest, you need to tell them now. Yesterday I was praying and I kind of got convicted, like, Lord, did I say anything? What do you want me to do here? Show me what to do. So that's the key, the willingness on our part, to be obedient, the Lord will guide you. Because you know why? The Lord is more interested in you telling people about Jesus than you are. And He'll open doors for you. Notice thirdly, when we think about the fields, not only are they near and are they full, but notice the fruit from the fields. John chapter 4, verse 36. Jesus says, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. 
For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. This brings up the idea of reaping the harvest. Now there are a lot of lessons just in those few verses that we read. Let's walk through them real quickly. First of all, we notice that uh, those that are harvested here, they're saved, they have eternal life. He says that they gather fruit for eternal life. When someone gets saved, something remarkable happens. They are saved eternally. They have eternal life. You say, when does eternal life begin? The moment a person trusts Christ. They have eternal life. They're going to live it out for all eternity, but they now, presently, have eternal life. If you are saved, you have eternal life. Secondly, would you notice there it says that those sharing the gospel receive wages. That was true back in their uh, culture, back in their economy. It's true today if you work on a farm and you're laboring and you're uh, reaping the harvest, you receive a paycheck. And it's true as a Christian. When you lead someone to Christ, you receive wages. There's a reward that you get now. You say, well, what is it? Well, it's the satisfaction and the happiness and the joy that comes from leading someone to Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it. When you get to lead someone to Jesus Christ, there's nothing like it. Like it. Why? Because you've seen a life that has changed forever. I tell you what, if you lead enough people to Christ, you'll be ready to charge hell with a water pistol. That's how exciting it is to lead someone to Christ. But you're not going to lead someone to Christ if you don't lift up your eyes and look at the fields and open your mouth and share the gospel. I'm convinced we're living in the last days. Time is short. Jesus wants us to share His gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice, likewise, those sharing and those reaping here, they receive rewards later. We're not only joyful and happy and satisfied here when we lead someone to Christ, we get an eternal reward for leading people to Christ. We're going to stand before Christ one day as Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be rewarded for our labors. And believe me, if you lead someone to Christ, you will receive a reward. And then notice likewise here in these verses that the sowers and the reapers both work together. The sowers and the reapers both work together. He says in verse 37, for this is the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And then you back up to verse 36, it says, both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. If you're a farmer, if you're farming, what's more important, sowing or reaping? Obviously, they go together. You've got to have both to have a successful season, Right? We don't know. When we share the gospel, we don't know where we are in a person's exposure to the gospel. Very few people get saved the very first time they hear the gospel. Think about your life. Did you get saved the first time you heard the gospel? A lot of us, we heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. We were brought up in church. We heard the gospel from the time we were in nursery and then preschool and then we kept going. We heard the gospel. We sung the gospel. We heard the gospel. We heard the gospel preached. We read about the gospel. We colored the gospel. It was all about the gospel. And then one day, God the Holy Spirit opened our hearts, our minds, and we responded to the gospel. We don't know where we are when we talk to someone about their eternal destiny. We don't know if this is the first time they've heard the gospel, the second time they've heard it, the third time. We don't know where we are. We are just simply a part 
of that journey. We might be the one that plants the initial seed. We might be the one who helps cultivate the seed. We might be the one who gets to reap the seed that is planted, to harvest the crop. I think about it uh, when I get to lead one of our children here that's been brought up in our church to faith in Christ. Did you notice it says there at the end of verse 38 that you, it says others have labored and you have entered into their labors. That's what I've done when I get to do that. Back in November, I think about, so I sat down in front of our children and I talked about the gospel and I got to lead them to Jesus Christ. I got to harvest, if you will, the crop. But all I did was enter into your labors. Why? Because many in here, you kept them in nursery. You taught them in Sunday school. You had them in team kid. You worked with them in vacation Bible school. You taught them. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandparents, you kept feeding into them the Gospel. They watched your life. You taught them about the Gospel. You taught them how to hold a hymn book. You taught them how to sing. You gave them a Bible. And over and over and over and over and over again, the Gospel's coming. And all I did was enter into your labors. But here's the glorious thing. We both get rewarded for it. You get rewarded and I get rewarded. And so that's why you need not be discouraged because you say, well, you know, I share my faith and it seems that nobody ever gets saved. Well, you don't know where you are in that journey that the person's taking as they're there and the seed's been sown and maybe you're just cultivating it. Maybe the next person that comes along is going to be the one to see the harvest. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because we're all working together and we all get rewarded as we labor together. And so we rejoice. We all rejoice. By the way, anytime somebody gets saved, we all should rejoice. It doesn't matter if it's in our church, some other church, in vacation Bible school, at a camp, in a grocery store. It doesn't matter. We're all working together. There's a cooperation. Churches are not in competition. We're in cooperation together. So I'm challenging all of us. I'm calling all of us today and this year to lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Look at those that are around you. You know, we talked about the best news. We talked about how to share your faith. And you remember when we went through that training. We have to share the bad news. The bad news is our sin has separated us from God. Then there's some worse news that comes along. What's the worst news? We can't do anything about it. We're lost. We're dead. But then we bring about the good news. What's the good news? Well, it's at the cross. Jesus died for us to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to forgive us. And then the best news, through faith, we can receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you know enough in your life to get saved yourself, then you know enough to help somebody else understand the Gospel. We need to be done with excuses, done with rationalization, done with all this stuff, and say, listen, Lord Jesus, I want to be used of you. I've got family. I've got friends. I've got co-workers. I've got classmates. I've got people at the stores I go to. I've got people all around me. The fields are full all around me. Would you use me this year to share the gospel? And Lord, if it's the first time they've heard the gospel, if it's the third time they've heard the gospel, wherever it is you want to use me in that journey that person's taking, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful because I understand that the fields are white under harvest.
So I want to challenge you. We're talking a lot about this. We're going to see this throughout this year. We're going to keep putting this thing before you. Look at the fields. Look at the fields. Look at the fields. People are hurting. People are hungry. People are ready to hear the truth. And when God puts us at these various places, He's put us there for a purpose. And it's to share His love, His grace, and His mercy. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. So please join me this year and let's look at the fields together. They're white unto harvest. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I don't understand why you chose to use us. You could have emblazoned John 3.16 in the clouds. You could have sent an army of angels to declare the gospel. But instead, you've chosen to use us, person to person, to share the gospel. Father, would you help us in our personal lives, in our church life, to lift up our eyes, to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of even the things we must do, and to lift up our eyes and look around at a lost and dying world and see that we're surrounded by fields that are white in the harvest. And help us, Lord, to enter into that harvest. Father, I pray if anybody here today, maybe they've been sitting here listening to this and they realize that they, they're not even saved. I pray today that you would touch their heart and bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to play a part in this wonderful business. Thank you that just as Jesus was in the Father's business, we are too. So help us, Lord, to labor well, looking to you. And Lord, we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning on the altar is open if you would like to come and pray. Maybe God's put upon your heart somebody. A name has popped, a face has popped into your mind. Someone who you know needs Jesus. Maybe you need Jesus. Just come and let us know that. We'd love to pray with you and help you. 364 is our closing hymn. 364, we have there, Stand the Light. And the altar is open. Would you stand with me? Let's sing out. 364, Send the Light. There's the call comes ringing, or the rest.